Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. In theory, spring training will be starting in a couple weeks, but it's not looking like that. Today will be better than yesterday, so maybe there's hope there. Producing from his home studio in Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. Sarah Abbott is working from Nebraska. I'm Buster only working from my home studio in New York. And Sarah... I saw on social media after the 49ers lost, you were on Bitter Boulevard. What was that about? I was on Bitter Boulevard because I'm bitter, because I'm mad, because I do not want any other team besides the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to host a Super Bowl and win. And they also just took so much away from us. So I'm very bitter with them right now. We're not on good terms, but I do want Bitter Boulevard on a t-shirt. And I also wanted to make it my Twitter bio. So I might do that specifically <laughs> for next week. <laughs> we need to make that happen, Taylor. Like, I, lo- I love Bitter Boulevard. Oh, it, was, yeah. it actually came from a college friend of mine uh, when I was at Vanderbilt named Dan Bean, who is, he said that and that just stuck with me. And so whenever I play basketball with my son or something happens with my son, it's like you're going down Bitter Boulevard. <laughs> I love Bitter Boulevard. It would make an amazing T-shirt as Sarah and I. We actually we talked about this last night because, uh, you know, pull, when you pull the catchphrase out, Buster, it's big news. So I think uh, I advise Sarah when Tom Brady does uh, retire and, and drive off in the sunset, she should change her actual name that you can alter to Bitter Boulevard. Not yeah, you know what? I'm going to do it tonight. This is going to be it for like this, this whole week. It's going to be Bitter Boulevard. Maybe we can get some merch for Baseball Tonight podcast that just says Bitter Boulevard. There you go. Uh, and I was going to say, too, my guess is, is that you find Rams fans to be really annoying. I really, like, honestly, until this year, I had no beef with the Rams. I was, I was cool with them until this week. I really, I don't know, I'm just really pulling for Joe Burrow now more than ever. Very nice. Uh, some news and notes before we get going. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirchin about ESPN's ranking of the top 100 players. We'll also be speaking with Doug Glanville today on the podcast about his column that he wrote uh, that posted on ESPN yesterday that he thinks that, uh, you know, he's totally fine with the fact that Barry Bonds has not been voted in the Hall of Fame. Los Angeles Angels superstar Shohei Otani will grace the cover of MLB The Show 22 video game following his historic 2021 season. My son Jake plays that game all the time. I checked with him this morning. He approves and he thinks Derek Jeter will be the legend cover, whatever that means. Uh, It makes sense given that the Jeter doc will arrive later this year. The Cleveland Guardians signed an agreement to extend their lease at Progressive Field through the 2000. And 36 season. Here's the update on the labor situation. Yep, the MLB lockout is about to enter its third month. Uh, when it began on December 2nd, MLB and the Player Association had 119 days before the start of the new season to figure things out. But the uh, opening day is now just 59 days away, and it doesn't seem like they've made very much progress at all. A plaque honoring baseball legend Jackie Robinson that was vandalized in Georgia is coming to Kansas City's Negro Leagues Baseball Museum to be put on display. The sign was erected in 2001 outside the birthplace of Robinson near Cairo, Georgia. Taylor, what do you got? 
Buster, everyone should be listening to Swaggoo and Perk, hosted by Marcus Spears and Kendrick Perkins. Every Tuesday this week, they discuss the reeling New York Knicks and Julius Randle's disappointing season, why Joe Burrow will be the face of the NFL one day, the reason why there aren't enough black coaches in the NFL, and Rihanna's pregnancy with ASAP Rocky. Big news if you're into that sort of thing. Follow Swaggoo and Perk wherever you get your podcasts or watch the show on YouTube. And 30 for 30 has a new entry into the award-winning film series, The Tuck Rule examines one of the most controversial plays in sports history. For the first time, Charles Woodson and Tom Brady discuss the call that changed it all. Watch it live February 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN or watch it the next day on ESPN+. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirchin, who, of course, covers baseball for ESPN, even when there's not necessarily baseball happening. Tim, how you doing today? I'm well, Buster. How you doing? I'm doing great. I, I want to get your approval on this. We landed a few weeks ago on this being the sound effect when we talk about the labor discussions. Go ahead, Taylor. <laughs> Is that appropriate? Oh, God, that's a that's a bad game show. You get the wrong answer. You don't win the the automatic range or the washer dryer. And that's the sound you hear. Yeah, it's a bad sound. And it's very appropriate for apparently what's going on right now. How about you? Like the price is right is a bad game show. No, I no, no, like no. The price is no. right. 
I, I, I liked it too. I like let's make a deal. I love the gong show. I love all of them, but that is the perfect sound for, Oh, disappointment. You know, you're not going to get the car. Okay. So I, this, this morning, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show that there's no point in going through all the, um, you know, the particulars of where they stand. It's so in, in the weeds that you could, you could have a discussion for five hours, the discussion that the two sides apparently are not having <laughs> about, you know, what represents a concession, how it works for one side, how it works for the other. And I, Tim, I want to look at this from 30,000 feet. And this is kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm at uh, for where the negotiations stand. On the owner's side, what I would say would be from 30,000 feet, figure out the concessions you're going to make and present them right now present them in early February, you know, hats off. You guys won the negotiating bell. You were the 98 Yankees of the 2016 negotiations. You destroyed them. But now the scorched earth approach can do serious damage to the game uh, and the product. And so I think it behooves the owners to put something on the table that the players can sink their teeth into and get a win and get excited about. And Tim, all along, I felt like, uh, and this point has been made by the players, I think the owners need to get serious about the tanking issue. I think they need to acknowledge it, do what you can to combat it. I, you know, there are folks uh, on their side who referred to it as, well, that's the rebuilding process. You and I are not idiots. We know the difference between tanking and rebuilding. And it's clear that the tanking strategy where these teams take the payroll down to 35 or $40 million is a joke. And, and, and look, it's not bad for individual owners, but it's terrible for the sport. Uh, tell me what, before I give my perspective on where the players stand, what do you think about where I feel about the owners? Yeah, look, the tanking issue, whatever you want to call it, is unhealthy for the game. Buster, we've been over this. The, the Orioles finished 39 games out of fourth place. So they finished 39 games behind the next worst team in their division. That's only one other time has that happened in the history of baseball. When the, you know, when the Red Sox won in 2018, I think they finished 62 games ahead of the Orioles. That is really not right for the game. We, we, the beauty of baseball is I've told you this, there's no such thing as an upset in baseball, but now, you know, when the pirates go in and beat the Dodgers at Dodger stadium, you wonder like, how did that happen? That that's not good for baseball. And that's why something needs to be done about this, but I don't know exactly what can be done to make things better. Raising, you know, the, the minimum payroll, you know, maybe it means you just add a bunch of middle line guys who can't help you do much better. Anyway, there's gotta be a better way to do this. I'm just saying the gap between the really good teams and the really bad teams is the widest. I know that I've ever seen this in over four decades of covering this sport. And it's not good when one team is any team is that much better than the worst team in the league. Yeah. And the owners need to acknowledge that. Uh, I think they need to have discussions. I'm shocked that the two sides really haven't, you know, had uh, constructive back and forth on how to attack that um, on the player side, Tim, I, I look, I, you know, all during the summer of 2016, leading up to that uh, CBA, uh, you know, just talked to so many people on the player side are like, what are we doing? How come we're not talking? Why are there not discussions happening? What are we doing? I I'm concerned the players are on the exact same trajectory, Tim. No talks, um, you know, no real engagement, a deal that's going to be rushed across the finish line. And in practice, 
Um, you know, I, I, I worry that the players are going to get wiped out again. I, I don't understand. And I have it the whole year, all last year, why there's not constant back and forth uh, where it's you, you, you war game out a scenario. OK, this worked for us and this worked for you. And here's how I think it can work for you. And you go back and forth. And sometimes most of the time it's probably not going to lead anywhere. But at least you're engaged. At least you're you know, trying to figure out a solution. I'm really concerned that we're headed down the same path we were in 2016 for the players with the lack of engagement. What do you think? Yeah, we're all concerned, Buster. You know, I, when they, when the lockout began, I said, this has got to be done by February the 1st. Well, it's February the 1st today, and we're not even close. Now I have pushed it back to, you know, February 21, three weeks from now. Like maybe that'll be enough time to salvage spring training and salvage 162 games, but that's not good enough. You can't have a truncated spring training like we've had before people get hurt. The, 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 urgency has to happen now. And I'm just, I still don't get this. And I, I've covered all of these busters starting with 81 and I see only when it gets down to it, do we get going, but it's getting really late. And all this time that has been wasted two months of putting things together wasted. is so bad. And, and I just wonder, are there baseball labor deal makers on both sides of this equation. You might not have agreed with, you know, some of the people who are doing the, the labor deals in recent, you know, 81, 95, 4, 95, but those guys knew how to make a deal in the end. And ultimately they did. Sometimes I just wonder, are the same deal makers for baseball still in place? Yeah, I really hope. And, and what this is part of what concerns me, Tim, is that even if these two sides, you know, hammer out a deal like in the summer of 2020 for that 60 game season during COVID, I'm concerned that the bad relationship um, will continue and might even fester worse. Like it's not only about getting this particular deal, but it's about the two sides doing what each side needs to do to improve that working relationship. Yeah. And again, Buster, I don't know anything about football ever since I went to the bubble screen. I don't under even understand what I'm watching anymore, but I can tell you the last six NFL games that I watched and I watched them all, those were great. And this is what people want. They only want to watch the games in the end. They don't want to watch you and me talk about the games or anything else. They just love the games. And if baseball doesn't recognize that football with this enormous lead anyway, then throws out these six straight playoff games like that, um, we have to recognize we better start playing the game if we're going to get our fans back. All right. So ESPN.com is unveiling today its top 100 players in Major League Baseball history. And this is right up your alley, right? Because you are someone who has sat down and done the work of range, ranking all the players at each individual position. Yeah, I I. I have my own opinions on who's the five greatest catchers, first baseman, all the way through, okay? But this is very important, Buster. This is my opinion. This is my list. I'm not suggesting for a second that it's the right list, the only list, or the correct list. This is my list. This is the beauty of this. This top 100, if we did it again with a different group of people tomorrow, it would be a completely different list. And it should be a completely different list. That is the beauty of an exercise like this is 
and you can't get it right because there is no right answer. But it's beautiful. It's wonderful to even attempt the top 100 players of all time. It's impossible, but I love anyone that even gives it a whirl. Uh, and I think you'll agree with me on this. You said that if we you know, did a, a, another top 100 with a different group of people tomorrow, it'd be different. Tim, if we did the top 100 tomorrow with the same group of people, it would be different. Yes. Well, that, that's the point. I went through that voting process, you know, you know, who's better, you know, Lefty Grove or Sandy Koufax. I mean, my goodness, how in the world could you make these determinations? But you have to, you move on. And yes, it would be a different look a much different look tomorrow, even with the exact same people voting. That's how capricious the whole thing can be as far as who's better, this guy or this, when there's really no answer sometimes. Yeah, I look at it as like being a fun conversation in a bar. Right. That's all. That's all it is, Buster. It's a fun conversation. On, on the Steamhead show once, gosh, I said that Warren Spahn was better at number 21 than Roberto Clemente, and I thought people were going to kill me. Okay? I love Roberto <laughs> Clemente, and I've since switched. Maybe Clemente's better than Warren Spahn, but people get so upset about this, and I understand why. I love the passion, but anger and hatred over a fun argument like this is really not necessary. All right. Uh, as you and I speak, uh, ESPN has released its 51 through 100. So we don't have the one through 50 uh, yet. And I'm going to ask you about specific rankings among the 51 through 100, which when I saw them, I'm like, eh, I don't buy that. And I'm curious to see if you agree with me. Um, but first and foremost, I think generally speaking, and I, and I talked about this in one of the tapings we did, Tim, that uh, I feel like that because the beauty of baseball and the reason why these type of arguments can be had in baseball uh, more so than they can in other sports is because the statistics are so similar. Like we can compare Ted Williams to Juan Soto in a way that you can't, you know, compare Otto Graham to Tom Brady. It's just it, the numbers are relatively in the same ballpark. Um, but what I think that also leads to is that because the numbers are the numbers, I, I, I think sometimes we overrate the older players. And so when I hear that, uh, you know, a guy like Babe Ruth is better than his peers, that kind of makes my eyebrows raise a little bit. What about you? Well, I'm on the opposite end of this, Buster. If we are going to acknowledge that baseball, at least to me, is the ultimate skill sport, it's not as athletic as it is skillful. And we're going to have Babe Ruth as the number one player of all time. And he played over a hundred years ago. Then we also have to say that the great, great players from that era have to be involved. For instance, mm. Eddie Collins is a top three second baseman of all time. And he's 82nd on our list. All right. Napoleon Lajoie, maybe, and they named a team after him. Maybe he goes back too far, but he's not even in the top 100. Archie Vaughn is a top four or five shortstop ever. He's not even in the top 100. So I'm on the other side. If we're going to acknowledge that great players dominated in the teens and the twenties, then we're going to have to include all of them. And I think we left out some old timers who belong in there. Now, am I going to argue with you that Eddie Collins could get to balls that Roberto Alomar couldn't that's no that's not true but Eddie Collins in his prime for instance was better than 
every second baseman other than Hornsby and maybe Joe Morgan. And he's not, he's 82nd on our list. That would be my argument. And most people like you, and I understand would totally disagree with that. (laughs) So I'm going to use your past words against you in this moment, because you're basically saying a player relative to his time, the preeminence of an individual player relative to his time is what you're saying is incredibly important, right? Yes. That's what I'm saying. I'm, yes. I'm entrapping you. I'm entrapping you with that because for oh, years you and I have talked about Mariana Rivera and I'm like, Mariana Rivera should be one of the greatest Yankees of all time because he gave them an advantage that no other team had. He's that much better as a closer, but you don't feel that way. Look, I think the closer role is really important. Okay. I voted for Billy Wagner for the hall of fame without throwing a thousand innings because I understand the role of the closer today. The argument that you and I had was, was whether Mariano Rivera was better than Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle is sick is seventh on the all time list. Seventh on the ESPN 100. And you're telling me Rivera is better than an everyday center fielder who won multiple MVPs and a triple crown. That's I what actually, I'm saying. DiMaggio. I would have kicked DiMaggio off the, it was the Mount Rushmore, but anyway. <laughs> All right. All You're right. not so, kicking DiMaggio off for a relief pitcher. Sorry. Th- those are the rules. <laughs> My rule. <laughs> All right. Let's go through some of the, uh, the number 51 through 100 that I looked at and my eyebrows raised. Uh, Clayton Kershaw at 52. I saw them like, uh-uh, he's a lot better than that. Yeah, I have him higher than 52 because during this era when runs are scored, balls flying out of the ballpark, and you look at what he's done ERA-wise at this stage of his career, it's it's essentially unprecedented. So he's too low for sure at 52. There are a bunch of people, there are a bunch of pitchers down there that are way too low. Uh, Lefty Grove is at 53. He might be the greatest left-handed pitcher ever, better than Clayton Kershaw. He's behind him. Pete Alexander is at 56. I mean, he's arguably top five pitcher of all time, and he's 56. Again, I'm going back to the old guys here, but I'm with you. Kershaw is too high. And, uh, to, or yeah, too low. And let's put yeah, it that too way. Too low in the 100. Right. He, should be, right. he should be closer to one yes. than yes. where Sorry. he is at 52. Uh I saw this and I'm like, how is Ernie Banks ranked over Lefty Grove or Steve Carlton? Tim, and I'm not asking, I know it's not necessarily your vote. It's a it's a compilation, but I saw that and I'm like, nah, we got that wrong. Yeah, I thought Ernie Banks was a little high, but I do give him extra credit points because he won back-to-back MVPs as a shortstop. We forget those days. Most of us can't even remember it. It was so long ago, but you you put the whole thing together. He's 100% a top 100 player. I just thought he was a little bit high also because, again, it, Steve Carlton is a top five left-handed pitcher of all time. In my mind, he should have been a little bit uh, further up the list. This was interesting. The newest Hall of Famer, David Ortiz, over Cal Ripken. I love David Ortiz. There's no way, Tim. And I get it. Cal Ripken was not a natural hitter. You know that better than anybody. He had to tinker. Hitting was hard for him. But as an overall player, come on. 
Yeah, I, I wrote down Ortiz over Cal Ripken and Brooks Robinson. Now, this is not my Baltimore bias. I don't have any Baltimore bias. I'm just telling you that one guy is a top three or four shortstop of all time. Brooks Robinson is the greatest defensive third baseman of all time and a vastly underrated offensive player. And when you're dealing with a DH, and I David Ortiz in the top 100, I'm okay with. But if you're a DH and we're putting you ahead of a guy who made three errors in one year as a shortstop playing 162 games and ahead of a third baseman who won 16 gold gloves. There's no way David Ortiz should be ahead of both of those guys or Roberto Alomar for that matter. Taylor, uh, when I saw this, I thought maybe you would want to take a swing at it. The idea that David Ortiz is ranked above Cal Ripken. Uh, Did, did David Ortiz play in the field? Did he have any impact defensively? No. Oh, okay. All right, that's all I have to say. Thank you. <laughs> I thought this was interesting, Tim, uh, because I, you know, I know that they were teammates, and you know, I know about their relationship and their preeminence. That Max Scherzer was ranked over Justin Verlander. That was interesting to me. Um. Yeah. They, well, there were a lot of interesting things on this list. I think Scherzer's had more overpowering seasons than Verlander. Both of them are a Hall of Famer for me. I think when you look at career value, it's really close. But I think when you look at 20 strikeout games, no hitters, even though Verlander's done all of this, I would put Scherzer slightly ahead of uh, Verlander. But it's it's a toss up for me either way. Both are Hall of Famers at the moment. Bryce Harper ranked over Adrian Beltre. I think Bryce Harper will finish his career in the top 100. That one I don't get because of how good Adrian Beltre is at his particular position, Tim. Yeah, you can make a case. Uh, Beltre is a top five third baseman of all time. That may be a stretch, but maybe not. Defense, spectacular. Uh, Only Brooks Robinson played more games at third base than Adrian Beltre. I think he was an underrated player in a lot of ways, played in some big ballparks. But um, once he's up for the Hall of Fame, he's going to be a first ballot guy because of the defense, the teammate aspect, and had some really good, really good offensive numbers. So you and I did a hot stove Zoom call the other night at my old high school and you mentioned, and this got the attention of a lot of folks who work at the school that I yell at you often on on my one on your one through ten Buster yelling at me scale, how was today? Um, not bad so far, but we haven't gotten to one to 51 yet. So you're going to probably yell at me some more. Look, yelling is good. This is the point. You can have a spirited, even heated debate. As long as everyone doesn't resort to name calling, there's no point in that when we're debating two guys who played baseball a hundred years ago. How are you going to prove that? (laughs) You Walter Johnson graduate, you now that we're not, uh, we're calling names. All right. Uh, so that guarantees that I'm going to bring you back next week, Tim. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you, Buster. Enjoyed it. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Doug Glanville played nine years in the big leagues and you see him all over television with op-eds in the New York Times and other places uh, like the one posted on ESPN.com right now entitled, Why I'm Okay with Barry Bonds Not Being Elected to the Hall of Fame. Doug, how you doing? Hey, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay. So within that piece, you asked the question, how can we celebrate anyone who clearly leveraged unfair advantages in order to win? We want to enshrine these men for what? For having a better pharmacist. So uh, that was, you know, at the in the heart of your piece. Tell me sort of what your thought process because you know, you, you are uh, very thoughtful and I'm sure that you uh, process this for a while and have been as this conversation has developed really over the last 15 years. Yeah, well, for, I probably needed a book, you know, quite frankly, I mean, because of the connections I have to this period of time, not only as a player, uh, as, you know, part of the Players Association, a competitor, all these things. And, you know, what I was trying to capture was broad. It's it's easy to kind of hang your hat on these names, you know, Bonds and Clemens and Manny Ramirez and all these things. And we understand that. But in the end, it's it's a it's a cultural uh, unveiling, right? To understand the impact of PEDs and that culture on players. And, you know, when a lot of the players that got passed over or skipped over, you're not going to hear them going up against hall of famers. You're going to hear them getting beat out by a guy that was a fourth outfielder and they ended up in triple a, like you don't, you don't hear those stories because they don't have names. So there's nameless faces all on the side of the road, by the way, that, are kind of seen as irrelevant. And, and it, it was important for me to share the consequences of this, this culture, the concept, which, you know, which is pervasive, I'm sure in many ways in different sports and all these sports try to do is figure out how to regulate it to a certain degree. And, and so, yeah, yeah I don't even think it's necessarily, I don't know if fair is the right word, but some players who did greater things or had more notoriety, let's say, ended up much more in the crosshairs of the sort of seen as a poster of this, but really it's all throughout, right? It's, it's, it's what's created and supported in many, on many layers. And so I was trying to unveil uh, just like the personal story of, you know, making this choice and players, like I've heard from a lot of players and who are still nervous. Like they don't want to say anything. They're just like, Hey, that, you know, I wanted to say that because you're always afraid if you point any fingers, you really end up pointing at yourself and you're afraid that, Oh, well, you weren't perfect. You didn't do this or all these things. And, and so I didn't try to make it a, a, an exercise in litigation and oh, positive tests versus negative tests and, and all these things that like you can get in the weeds on because technicalities are exactly why we can't have the conversation. Uh, if you have enough, you know, legal advice, if you have enough ways to create doubt, you have enough social media accounts to shift your image, you'll, ne- it, you'll never get at the core. So I tried to cut through that and say, let's just talk about whatever you want to say as evidence, let's talk about like what a culture of cheating actually does to the, the, the integrity of the game, the consequences, and then try to figure out like, what are we trying to mean when we enshrine or choose who we're trying to lift up as a, an example, a, a, a best example of our game or the best players of our, 
of our era or ever, when we're trying to actually accomplish that, what are we looking at? And, and so, so I think that was mostly like the personal accounts of, of a player just trying to understand and dissect with still a lot of open-ended questions, by the way. Uh, I, I don't, I don't take, you know, joy in like looking at our game in a way and, and trying to be like, Oh, let me point these guys out and all this stuff. I think it's, it's really hard. And, and when you're a teammate of anybody, I don't, even when they did things that are questionable or cheated, you still have a certain connection, right? You still, they're like, it's like a brotherhood. You have brothers you don't, you know, may not get along with or whatever, but you still love them and you still try to like understand. And I think it's, it would be disingenuous to say, I don't understand why the culture felt like players had to do certain things. Uh, I'll never forget the, the, I think it was a New York Islanders trainer. I think it was also the Jets, the uh, doctor, I should say, who came and did a tour in there and went to all the locker rooms in spring training and basically yelled at us and saying, all you out there, stop it. Stop what you're doing. We know what you're doing. Whether you test positive, we know, we know what you're doing. And you are making everybody in here have to cheat to just be on the field. And you are making me do something I wouldn't ordinarily do just to compete. I mean, he just like blasted us on this thing. And uh, it was really interesting because that pressure is real. So I do see why, like, maybe a guy was like, hey, I'm about to lose out on this job. So what do I do? My, my family, I have four kids at home. I'm trying to. So I get it. I get it. And that's not always the case. There's certainly total greed out there. But I think it's important to understand, like, it isn't really black and white, but I think we can try to have certain clarity, like whatever you want to call it. We don't want people who cheated their way to excellence or the numbers we care about to be rewarded in a certain way. And I, you know, the details are hard to parse out, but I don't think that's an unreasonable statement to make about how, what we're trying to accomplish, let alone like that impact of forget about record breakers, but what it does to the playing field. Uh, and, and it was devastating to the playing field. And, you know, and just because their names aren't, they don't work for ESPN or they don't do, doesn't mean there's not a whole lot of people I know, by the way, that never got out of AAA and we don't know who they are, but I do. That's exactly right. And that was his impact. So, um, you know, I, I, as I've written and I've talked about, like if I, uh, I, I think Bonds and Clemens should be in the hall of fame, given the context that you talked about. And, and here's where I sort of land on it. You know, the first, uh, I first started covering professional baseball in 1989 that was six months after Jose Canseco was answering questions on national television uh, in an interview. I think it was with Joe Garagiola or somebody else was asking him a question live on television about mm-hmm. steroid use. That was only a month after Ben Johnson lost his medal at the 1988 Olympics. So 1989 and 1990, I'm starting to hear, you know, some perk, some stuff percolating among players about possible PD use. You and I know uh, early on, there was a lot of talk about Oakland players. You know, there was a lot of talk about Texas players. I mean, Tony Gwynn telling me going into the Oakland clubhouse in spring training and they had weight charts and what everyone was lifting <laughs> and the Padres yes. players are going, come on. And so by 1995, you know, 1996, I'm having conversations with my editors like, how do we get at this story? Like, how do you get at this story uh, and your first thought is to focus on individual players on an admission. Maybe you get some piece of evidence. 
And those conversations carry over to with my sports editor at the New York Times, Neil Ander, when I went there in 1997. When 1998 rolls around and McGuire and Sosa are doing all that, I'm assuming that, you know, my God, there's I have no doubt that this is part of it. But there were many, many, many players who I felt like were in the same boat. So the way that I've kind of looked at this is to me to pluck out a couple of guys and Clemens and Bonds are get the most attention, you know, within the era. It, mm-hmm. It's a little bit like and I've written this analogy. Uh, uh, it's a little bit like uh, a cop standing on the side of the road and, and dozens of cars are zooming by going 70 miles an hour. And the cop picks out, you know, two guys going 68, 60, uh, you know, seven miles an hour and that hits them with the felonies. And that seems like, really, we're going to focus on these two guys. And I think you would agree with me. The reason why Bonds and Clemens get the most attention is because they were the best. And you mentioned all the unnamed players, you know, the fringy type players who had major league careers because they were using uh, versus those guys you mentioned who dropped to the wayside. And, and whether we like it or not, my perspective is that's what the sport was like. And that's, that's why I feel like when we focus on, you know, a Bonds or a Clemens too, uh, that it, it feels completely out of context. Charles Barkley, I talked to him last week, and he said that when he looks at the Baseball Hall of Fame conversation, he's like, wait, so three or four players, you know, pay for the sins of an entire generation of players? And, it, and he didn't mean like every player was taking right. steroids, but you, you know what he was saying. So, right. I, you know, how do but you – but, yeah, but did they pay? Did they pay? I mean, what a price that you don't get a plaque. I mean, come on. Like, you know, like you, you, you made hundreds of millions of dollars. You had, you know, won championships and MVP awards and all this other stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, and like I said, whether you put that on Clemens and bonds or just, I'm saying that as a global statement, the spoils of these guys were off the charts and yes, they were good, obviously, but at the same time, like, they created the shadow, right? Often players, that's what happens. Like, okay, I could say all day long what I did before I I could do that. But then, you know, if I make a choice that colors that, then I'm the one who made that decision, right? Like, so we can't go back and then be revisionist history and claim something that is just your word. I I mean, that's unfortunately, maybe that happened in cases where players might've been totally legitimate at one point and not legitimate or whatever. And legitimate, I use that word, I guess, in air quotes, uh, but but I think that's the challenge. And and look, it's it's reality that you're going to go after people that are in the public sphere, which is why I would say to you that there is a semblance of unfairness that, uh, OK, this player, because he was so good. But there's also the element of you're in a sport like it, you're in a sport that cares about these records. You're, you're very aware of it. You know, that's what you're chasing, you know, for example. So it's it's like. Of course, you're going to be in the crosshairs, of course. And and so if you're a player that, like, say you were under the radar, like it was probably better for some of these players to not break all these records <laughs> and then yeah. to be like slide under the radar. Right. But but then when you don't like try to address that, then what are you going to address? You're going to go after the double A guy that that used PEDs and didn't make it like, yes, they should all be under the umbrella. But the it's obvious that when you're out there in the in the center of the sport, uh, creating whatever record breaking, and that's what you're shooting for. And you're making trillions and all these other things. Yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, like, and to your analogy about police, you know, Buster, I get it. Like, okay, everybody speeds, right? Everybody speeds and no, 
Now, are we competing? You know, are we, are there money involved? There's a whole lot of other stuff. And, and like, and, and your analogy resonates with me because I was stopped in my own driveway, shoveling my driveway when yeah. a police officer accused me of um, shoveling to make money. And so, yeah, I know what it's like to be singled out, like sometimes unfairly, uh, but at the, it doesn't mean the law, uh, like if I get pulled over for, you know, being on my phone, uh, it doesn't mean the law is wrong or the F, the effort to try to make people not drive while on the phone is wrong. It's just that it's arbitrary because we're all human, which is why like the hall voters, yeah, you're human. I think Buster, you've been tasked, voters have been tasked with an impossible, possible uh, effort. You know, it's really hard because you already have to deal with generational issues, whether war, racism, and all these things that kept people out. And, all, and then you have to overlay that, the fact you don't know what these numbers are. So I kind of think, Yes, you you put a bullseye on your back. Yes, and it it's it could be unfair. I agree, but you did put the bullseye on your back. And when you break records and you do things like that, people are going to ask questions. They're going to research, and that if you have the hubris to go with it, uh, then yeah, it's it's unfortunate. But because they like you, I don't think that necessarily should give you a hall pass. I agree with that. Uh, but I think that there's you know it's why it's so difficult to do because, uh, like you said, on a case by case basis it makes it harder to look at the collective solution. And by the way, I don't feel sorry for Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. Like they made choices to your point. They made choices. Okay. Um, my, when I talk about fair versus unfair, it's more about sort of the, the way this is cast and, and, and trying to keep it all in context. I, you talked about the writers and I'm curious about your perspective on this. I'm not comfortable with the retroactive morality uh, in the way that it's played out with the writers. I don't think the journalists should be the gatekeepers in this hall of fame process. I don't think they should be in this role. I stopped voting seven years ago. Um, and I also feel like your interest as a clean player should be served. It should have been served. Uh, I think we can all agree that, you know, the, the, you know, the leadership of the player association was slow to, protect the interest of players because the, the, you know, the theoretical or the, the principle that the, the union defended, you know, on privacy rights wound up working against the clean players. Um, but in the voting process, who should do that represent the issue of the clean players? Because Major League Baseball clearly is punted on this issue. Um, I'm assuming because they don't want to fight with the union. You don't have Rob Manfred coming out and saying, you know, uh, any player suspended for PD should not be have the opportunity, you know, or should effectively be banned from the sport uh, the way Pete Rose was. Um, should the union, you know, represent the interest of the clean players? Should the hall represent the interest of clean players? Or do you think the writers should? Hey Buster, I, I, I love the fact that we should reimagine it. And, and I think every generation has a right to consider what their priority are, priorities are, take new information, go back. I mean, I don't know, some Generations may decide like, hey, let them all in. You know, I I don't know. I'm not saying that I would be like personally okay, but I understand that we have to revisit this. And it is possible to get more voices at the table to consider all these elements. Um, I, you know, I look and I I look in the mirror a lot on this. Okay. I was a rep in the players association, and I, I know exactly that conversation. The the main quote around defending against having too much of a, a sort of a deeper, robust drug policy or at least like testing program was because of privacy. And yeah. now, now that now it is founded as we've proven, like all this confidentiality doesn't mean anything hardly today. But the, the fact is that there was a concern for like, okay, why we, te- I remember the phrase was we're testing without cause. 
Like, why are you testing people just because of what they do without cause? You're just going in and testing people. Like that was sort of the argument. And I think it didn't age well, but I understood it, the spirit of it at the time, because you had so much mistrust between players and owners. Like, okay, I, uh, if I give you this little thing, you're going to take it. But what was the failure was stepping back and saying, what do we want to stand for? Let's just forget like what might get co-opted or what, what do we want to stand for? about like this sport and and how we want it to be clean and fairness. I mean, there was vehement meetings talking about like a lot of concern about like, okay, I'm not the big guy on the totem pole, which by the way, then most of the time at these meetings, you didn't have superstars in these union meetings. Often there was a few Glavin and, and lighter. I give them credit, but you didn't have like the guys we were often talking about in these meetings. So they were, there was players worried. Like if I create a policy, I'm going to be the fall guy. Cause I'm expendable. These guys are going to just, they exist in any economic system, any drug, they're going to exist. They're going to be protected. So there's all these concerns on that level of whether this is going to actually be fair, even internally. So, but there, there was an opportunity to stand and say, no, we are against this. Da, 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 da. We got to figure this out, but we have to do it judiciously on a policy level. And so when I took the survey test in 2003, that established that more than 5% of the players we're, we're using and then kicked in this whole policy and new things came behind it. Yeah. There was a number. My name wasn't on it. When I took the test, there was a number, but someone had a key to, because if there was a false positive or someone dropped it or lost the sample. And so that was a trust exercise on like, all right, are people going to leak this? And of course what happened, right? So privacy was a, a huge concern, justifiably so, but it also obscured the, the sort of larger mission that, could have been taken on if there was a lot more trust to say, no, we actually have to stand for this proactively, period, and say we, we want a clean game. And, you know, p- because players will use all kinds of loopholes and, and lawyer up and get behind it, which is why case by case basis is so hard because you can't get at it. You know, you have they have so many resources, they gum up the system for years and then you never get at answers and then you never nobody ever gets in trouble over it. And so, you know, it took measures to do investigations that weren't just on positive tests. It took investigations, a lot of resources just to understand that, oh, they know how to get around this with no problem. And I think that that's why it's a cat and mouse game. But I agree, Buster. I think there's you have to reimagine the the voting. So it's a lot on writers. And I think you want more sources of information. And there's other systems, the NFL, there's other ways to do it. And I think it's fair. Um, to keep trying, but I still think they got to keep trying. I think you have 60 seconds left, and I'm curious if you agree with me on this. Uh, this is, I think, the place where we both would land. If there's specific information developed on a player's PD use, I think it should be on the plaque. So let's say Manny Ramirez gets voted into the Hall of Fame uh, at some point, or he's put on by a special committee, put it on the plaque and let the patrons who go through the hall decide what it means. What do yeah, you think? I mean, yeah. And I, I mean, I mentioned it was well, not, that I thought this was a novel idea, but I, I did have like special consideration. You put, you know, you could have your own wing or whatever. I mean, you were consequential in history. Let's let, we know that you were consequential and I'm not saying that's a positive, but it, it was true. And I think it, the hall is the unapologetic history of it should talk about that. Uh, I think it's a fair conversation to say, well, you know, especially someone like Manny who had these positive tests very unequivocally, uh, that you could consider like, okay, you, you put whatever your asterisks. I'm not, you know, I think it's, I hope there's a history component moving forward on anybody that gets in the hall that we really look at differently and try to understand more. Cause I just happen to be in this very unique era 
that requires very unique approaches to how we honor people and very unique approaches on how we even decide to do that in the first place. Yep. There's no question about it. All right, Doug, thanks for your time. Fun conversation. All right, Buster. Really appreciate it. Take care. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a lovely Tuesday. First off, we have Jeff at Oriole Superfan. Jeff, you might want to remove the super or the fan. It's kind of embarrassing, but we'll answer wow. your question. Uh, what do you think the fan backlash will look like if regular season games are canceled? Uh, fans won't show up. That's what happened in 1995. We know attendance was down all over the place, including with the Montreal Expos, to the point that it seemed to absolutely destroy that franchise. Alrighty. Next up, we have Preston. Alrighty. Next up, we have Michael Preston at McP1979. McP writes in idea for the CBA teams get two players without spending limit and hard cap for the rest of the 40 man with a spending floor as well as a ceiling would let top players get paid, force teams to spend and give middle income players a chance to get paid right. Yeah, I like that idea. I like a lot of ideas. I'm hearing from different people around the game. I had to solve this. What my question is, why are these ideas not being kicked around? And as they say, war game down on both sides where they go, well, if we do this, then this could work here. And then you have those conversations last summer. So you know what the impact is going to be for all the players. I just am not confident those conversations have happened. Mick P's uh, idea seems way too radical for the conversations that are happening right now. Let's go to Katie Casey at Tweeter Bleats to close this segment out. Question about times when baseball wasn't a hot mess. What makes Willie Mays the catch so special? It seems like at least 20% of outfielders could make that play today. Kiermaier and Jackie Bradley Jr. come to mind. What do you think about that? Yeah, Katie, you're 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 right. Like you go back and look at that play. What was amazing about it was he's running right toward the fence. How far the ball was hit by Vic Wirtz. Uh, you know, the throw that he made afterward. But when you watch baseball in this era, you see players make similar type plays. It's the same thing. You know, I when uh, you know, when I first started watching the NBA, you know, in the late 70s, like Dr. J was something. And I go back and watch highlights now of Dr. J and I'm like, yeah, I see that every night. (laughs) That's part of the evolution of players and how they move. Yes, Taylor. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's uh Katie probably not trying to uh, diminish what Willie Mays did, but yeah, that's just the natural order of that's, things. That's that's yeah, that's that's the progression. All right, that does it for Bleacher tweets. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher tweets on Twitter. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Doug, and Taylor, and to Sarah, who is now officially on Bitter Boulevard. Sarah, we got that news just a few minutes ago. Yeah, I'm not doing great. This is going to be a tough day. <laughs> Because Tom Brady's retiring. That's the news that's uh, sending you down Bitter Boulevard. Oh, yes. I'm going to be in the morning for the rest of the morning and probably the rest of the week. All right. Everybody but Sarah, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast.